Alexander Hamilton My name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things I haven't done But just you wait, just you Hi, I'm Sue Stanfield with the History Department at the University of Texas at El Paso. And today we're going to talk about the $10 founding father, Alexander Hamilton. A few years ago, he was probably best known as the first Secretary of the Treasury and the face of uh, the $10 bill. Uh, But since uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's just hugely successful musical Hamilton, um, he's been put in a new light. He's you know, seen as a brilliant, romantic, scandalous, ambitious, and, and troubled hero. And so today we're lucky enough to get to speak with Janelyn Moss, American history librarian at the University of Iowa, the most amazing researcher that I know. And she teaches a course at Iowa on Hamilton uh, called Young, Scrappy, and Hungry, Exploring the World of Broadway's Hamilton. So um, I would love to take that class, but since I can't, I brought her here today to talk to you. Welcome, Janelyn. Thank you. Um, so I guess to start out, I mean, everyone seems to love the musical Hamilton. I've seen it twice, and if it ever makes it to El Paso, I will definitely see it a third and probably a fourth time. And I guess what strikes me about it is it's not just the production. It's not just the staging or the musical but Hamilton himself is such a, um, a compelling character and is such a, a story that resonates today. And so I'm wondering if you could kind of give, for those that aren't as familiar with him, just sort of a, a little short background about who he is and why he matters. So Alexander Hamilton, um, you know, up, up until the musical, I hadn't really thought about him a lot. I did a paper on him and Aaron Burr as a sophomore in high school, and I was relearning Hamilton through this musical. So as you said, he was brilliant. He had a brilliant mind. He had a hard scrabble life. He was an illegitimate child, but um, his, his brilliance was recognized. So he came to the United States to get an education and he became, you know, more than just an immigrant. His is not just an immigrant story. He was a soldier, a lawmaker, an economist, a politician. He was a futurist. So as you said, he was the first Secretary of, St- uh, Secretary of the Treasury. I was going to say Secretary of State, and we know from the musical who that was. Right. Um, uh, but he shaped the financial, the political, the legal systems of the U.S. He was really ahead of his time. Um, and, you know, I could say more, but that would take us the length of Chernow's book to, to do that. And for those that haven't seen, uh, Ron Chernow's biography of, uh, Hamilton, it's huge. It could be a book stop, um, it, or a door stop. It is, um, a massive book. I read it before I went to see the, the play on Broadway because I wanted to be prepared for the moment. And, it's a great book. It's just a slog to get through. And it is, is definitely a big book. Um, so you so, the book before you went to broad, to see the Broadway show. Yeah. I'm, I'm committed that way. So <laughs> see, I, I am um, totally, I cannot read the source material until after I see the movie or the musical or, or that otherwise I'm picking it apart through the entire thing. And, um, when I went to go see it, the friend I went to see it did with didn't even want to hear the music first, and um, or read the the biography. 
um, wanted to just experience it as it happens. And as I said, I'm just the opposite. Um, the, the cast album had dropped about two months before I, I had my tickets and I listened to it every day, knew all the words, you know, read the book, um, read all the reviews. So yeah, I like to be on, on top of things. Um, you were an early adopter of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think well, you hooked a lot of us onto Hamilton who might not otherwise have, have encountered it. And the oddest thing is I was on a, uh, airplane in the American Airlines magazine mentioned this obscure musical um, opening off Broadway. And I read about it and was like, oh my gosh, I I have got to see this. Uh, so yeah, I bought my tickets before it even opened on Broadway and was you know, good to go. Um, but one of the things that kind of strikes me is that we can see this show as both a musical and kind of a um, biography. I use for my class, we listen to um, the opening number and look at it at how it serves as um, a secondary source in history. Um, but I'm kind of curious. So while they, they emphasize these themes like of being an immigrant, being an outsider, um, I love the whole idea of who writes the history. You know, as a historian, that, that, that makes me smile to know, you know, it's who does the interpretation. And I think all of those things make the, the, the play compelling um, but I'm curious, how do they relate to Hamilton himself? I mean, are these just plot points or, um, or is his immigration status, his being illegitimate? Did all of these things really mark him as an individual? The Battle of Yorktown, 1781. Monsieur Hamilton. Monsieur Lafayette. In command where you belong. Are you saying no sweat? We're finally on the field. We've had quite a run. Immigrants, we get the job done. So this is where I qualify everything by saying I'm not a Hamilton expert. Um, but I feel the immigrant status drove him quite a bit. Um, and I, I think the natural born citizen clause for the presidency had an impact of him because I think he otherwise would have had aspirations for that. So uh, I, maybe it was overcompensation and he felt that he needed to do a lot of other things in order to, to make his name. But uh, he was going to tell his story. And Hamilton's life is kind of all about indulging Hamilton and all of those variations. So immigration, um, he was very, he was very ambitious, um, almost to the detriment of other parts of his life. And I, I think we do find that, that single-minded ambition compelling um, because there's always a possibility of a fall after that. And uh, that's a very human story. Um, in, in terms of who writes that story, you know, we've heard the quotes about history is told by the victors. If you want to attribute it as an African proverb, although there are probably more African proverbs on Facebook and uh, social media pages than there really are. Um, there's the quote that uh, the tale of the hunt is told by the hunter, not the prey. So maybe you can look at it that way. Hamilton was trying not to be the prey. Yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also have always found it ironic that the you know the way the Constitution is read on uh, you know being a, a natural born um, you know, born on U.S. soil, 
makes a difference early on since none of those founders were. They were all born in Britain, in essence, because we're not independent yet. So Um, I guess one of the things that struck me when I was first reading about the show before I saw it is, you know, the role of how it is cast. You know, if you if you've seen the images of the um, players, you know, that it is not uh, cast by uh, white guys and, and powdered wigs. Um, and I think that that is certainly an important part of the show. Also using various forms of music instead of the standard musical number, you have hip hop, you have, you know, a rap battle, you have um, British pop. I mean, you have all of these different things going on. And uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, I, in my mind, I think this is part of the argument of the show. And I'm wondering um, how you feel about this. Why does Lin-Manuel Miranda take this approach? Well, one, Lynn is just a visionary and a genius. Um, so clever. I don't, I don't know anybody else in recent memory who's, who's done something like this. But is it the tagline? Is it um, part of the marketing where Hamilton is the story of America then told by America now? So when you look at it that way, it has to have these different casting uh, dynamics. It has to have these different musical influences to really reflect and perhaps make it resonate more with a new audience. Um, You know, the Broadway audience isn't known for, you know, it's hip gen. What gen are we on? Millennials. Um, it's not necessarily known for that. So it was actually really smart. It does bring in a whole new audience, a whole new constituency. And in terms of the history, a lot of times our history and is a list of accomplishments without personality. We know these people are flawed, but we don't see it on a human or a personal level. So the way he's written the characters and the way he uses different musical elements to represent different characters. And um, it makes me think of Assassins by Sondheim. Are you familiar with Assassins? Oh, yes. I, I love Assassins and I'm a huge fan of Stephen Sondheim. And I think maybe Lynn took a page from this, but for those of you who don't know Assassins, it's the story of people who attempted and or succeeded in uh, killing American presidents. And so you have a long history through that of the American timeline. But when you look at the different times in history, the song um, sung by John Wilkes Booth sounds much different than the song sung by John Hinckley. And they represent the time periods that they're coming from. So John Hinckley is a little more of a, it's kind of a 1970s power ballad, if you will. Um, And when you look at Hamilton, so you mentioned like Britpop, that's King George. When we first meet Jefferson, it's more of a, a jazz feel and jazz is kind of an older uh, genre of music than rap and hip hop. So Jefferson has been out of the country for a while. When we meet him, he's representing kind of an older or a a disconnect to what's going on in the U S at that time. And that really wasn't the question you asked, but that's where I went with it. That's okay. Um, Because kind of playing off of that, um, I find how Jefferson is presented fascinating because I mean, That's not Jefferson, but I think in the idea of who he could be, it's a brilliant, you know, way to personify him. 
And I find Washington an interesting character as well as Burr. And uh, I'm kind of wondering how you see them as both historical figures, but really how they are characters in this in this show. So I, I will say now I find it very difficult to picture Washington when I'm reading about him without picturing Chris Jackson. Um, yeah. It's kind of a, a weird, uh, a, a weird tangential uh, Mandela effect, if you will, where my thought process is switched. I don't see the white hair and the, like, the noble profile. I see Chris Jackson and I think we do have a sense of of Washington through history as he's characterized by benevolent compassion, if you will. And I think that does uh, that does come across in the portrayal in Hamilton and Jefferson. He's always been this intellectual. I have, you know, of course, had a, a different point of view of Jefferson not a point of view, but Jefferson created the Library of Congress. And as a librarian, um, I, I always want to believe the best of Jefferson. But to me, I feel like the Jefferson is the villain of the story and not Burr. Um, and that could be a whole other question. Um, but I think that Hamilton has taken the essence of some of these people and heightened them, um, short of caricature. But um, yeah, there's... I feel like I don't know a lot, quite frankly, about Washington. Um, I know more about Jefferson Burr. I I, I know a little, but I think, um, you know. Well, I was going to say, I think they, one thing that strikes me is that Miranda, I think, lets Washington off the hook, right? So there are references to Sally Hemings and slavery, you know, when, when they encounter, you know, Jefferson, but none of these past are ever discussed with Washington. And so he is left as kind of the father of the nation beyond reproach in a way that the other characters I don't think are. It's, it's the patriarchy in all senses of the word. He does get a pass on this. He is the ideal, um, I think. And it isn't representative of, of what happened. If you've gone to Mount Vernon, you see the slave quarters. Um, and you're right, it, he doesn't mention any of that. And I think there's a lot of that in this. And incidentally, this is where I will um, mention a really excellent piece of criticism. And I think it was one of the, the first pieces of criticism that really took the musical to task. And it's, I'll probably say her name incorrectly. It's Lyra Montero out of Rutgers who wrote an article on race, race conscious casting. And there's a lot of elements of uh, the reality of these characters and things that get a pass. So if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. I will, I will look it up and, and look at it because uh, that sounds fascinating. You know, I know one of the things that people criticize the show about um, originally uh, was that women are, and, you know, passive or largely absent, which I don't a hundred percent agree with. I think that, um, I think Eliza certainly redeems herself. Um, well, she doesn't redeem herself. She doesn't need to be redeemed, but you know, in the final number, when she talks, you know, she is an active person. She is not a victim. Um, you know, I think Angelica is, is shown as a strong individual and an intellectual, 
Um, but that certainly is that, you know, women are often absent from, from the story. You know, they're neither in act one, the quartet of Fran, friends or in act two, the quartet of, of political leaders. And um, I'm kind of wondering, should we be thinking of the Schuyler sisters as more important or are they wives and, and little more? I've been reading Common Sense by Thomas Paine. So men say that I'm intense or I'm insane. You want a revolution? I want a revelation. So listen to my declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And when I meet Thomas Jefferson, oh. I'm going to compel him to include women in the sequel. Work! That's a great question, and I don't have an answer for you. Um, I, I think it's a, a question that's been asked by any number of pieces of pop culture uh, about the presence of women. And I, I don't think it helps that you really only have two strong female characters. Peggy is there, but um, in reference to uh, one of the questions that will come up later, um, Peggy's hashtag would be and Peggy. Yeah. There, there's not a lot that you see about Peggy. Um, you know, some of the some of the influences of women in the story are the the gaps or uh, the the absences. There's a presence in the absence of women, if that makes sense. Um, we hear about Theodosia. We don't meet Theodosia. We um, don't hear a lot about his mother, but you know that there has to be a driving force with that. Um, and it was probably on par for the role of women at the time, which is one of those cop-out phrases. Um, so I, I think Eliza was very much a woman of her time. She was, she was kind of, her characterization is devoted dignity, I think, um, which is one of the reasons that I am upset that they didn't go with the first burn. If you've heard that, have you heard no. first burn? It's one of the first versions of burn that was written and it um, became available as a Hamel drop a couple of years ago. And it's with, I think four or five of the Eliza's cast from other uh, performances or other locations. So the touring cast the London cast, the LA cast, that kind of thing. And it's a much more powerful um, story than Burn. Burn is vulnerable and you feel so sad for, for Eliza. And there's her, again, her devoted dignity, but this is much more in your face. I really want you to go back and listen to it. You published the letters she wrote to you. You told the whole world how you brought this girl into our bed. In clearing your name, you have ruined our lives. Heaven forbid someone whisper he's part of some scheme. Your enemy whispers, so you have to scream. I know about whispers. I see how you look at my sister. Don't! But you get the resentment, you get the anger. I think it's a much more real and open response to that. And um, it's a great song. And I'm kind of sad that they didn't use it, but I think they would have to then rejigger the end of the, of the musical to kind of fit those pieces in. Um, and again, I diverge. I can, I think I've told you this, I can go off on a tangent about anything and take anybody with me. And today it is your turn. Um, 
but in a sense, you know, the, the Schuyler sisters were socialites. They came from a really wealthy and prominent family. And what I know of Peggy is that she very much was that socialite. Um, she was sarcastic and vain and kind of supercilious. And um, we, did, we certainly do not get that in this musical. Um, Angelica, the thing that bothers me about Angelica is that she's portrayed as intelligent, but not as intelligent um, or as involved or engaged as she really was. The same with Eliza. Um, it's kind of their existence revolves around the men in their life. Um, Angelica did not sacrifice a relationship with Hamilton for Eliza. She was already married. Um, you know, the for, the family's fortunes did not rest upon her making a good match. Um, she wrote and could keep up with Hamilton and Jefferson and was friends and sparring partners, if you will, with these intellectuals. And so you get a little bit of that um, in the musical, but you don't get enough, I think. I think they reduce it to her relationship with Hamilton, but then the musical is Hamilton. And the same with Eliza. She's the long-suffering wife who her husband won't go with her. Um, and she's you know, planning the birthday events for her son while Hamilton's in the office. Um, but she helped him write some of his essays and we know this is before the end of the musical where we get a bit more of her picture. But I think the sisters are framed around Hamilton. And that right. probably makes sense for what he wants to do, with Lynn being the he. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I find, you know, there are not a lot of numbers that feature the the women. Um, but I think I think almost everyone that sees the show leaves with a really strong impression of um at least Angelica and Eliza as, you know, individuals that take action, you know, and as I said, we don't know a lot about what Eliza does until the very end when she, you know, tells us what, what she has done with her life after Hamilton has died. And see, I'm going to cry now. I cry every time I hear it almost thinking of, you know, how she reconfigures her life to, um, to be an activist. And she, you know, says in some things she does, they were interest of, of Hamilton. Some things weren't some things because they remind her of him, but yeah, she has this whole, another 50 years of life without him. And so, um, you know, when I, when I leave the musical, like I kind of feel, I wish there had been more and maybe we can have a, you know, a second musical Skylar, you know, instead of mm -hmm. Hamilton. But I, I think I find their roles interesting and, uh, and the show certainly wouldn't be what it is with if they had been written out and if it had just been the story of friendship and then story of foes. I mentioned First Burn. Um, one of the other things is two of the best songs are both cut and both of them are a, a more forceful message from women. And that is First Burn. And that is the original congratulations that you see a little bit in... Um, you see it in the Reynolds pamphlet, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, you see a little bit about con congratulations where Angelica confronts Hamilton over the, the affair. Um, and I think you get a very different impression of those women. So I have to say some of my, um, even some of my views of the musical are, um, I don't want to say clouded, but 
I've taught this class on Hamilton for three years running now. And so I feel like I have a more immersive experience with the industry that is Hamilton because it is an industry. And that is the mixtape and the Hamel drops and the ham for hams. So I, I have almost information overload that changes my perspective. And it's different than if I would have just watched the musical or just listened to the soundtrack. So I have that bonus added information. I was going to say, and I kind of stayed away from a lot of the more commercial aspects, but I just ordered last week a uh, Hamilton mask as I figured, what more do I need in life? But my, you need to send me a link. (laughs) I will, but I needed my COVID-19 Hamilton mask. So there you have it. Well, I mean, we kind of talked about this a bit, but the musical is so popular and it kind of, you know, made me think, well, what should be the next big historical musical? And, you know, I know in the past there's, um, as you mentioned, Assassins, there's the bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson, and then you have you know, Hamilton, which is a little more uplifting. Um, but what would you propose as our, our next big U.S. history show or topic? You know, I was... You sent me the list of questions, and this was the one that I was trying to wrap my head around the most. And I feel like if I could capture lightning in a bottle, I would do that, and I wouldn't want to share that information with anybody. Um, But it seems like a lot of our historical um, musicals really only provide context and setting. Like, it might be set at a certain time period, but it isn't really following historical characters as much. I mean, you know, you have like Allegiance, which is based on a true story. You have Les Mis. Um, Evita is probably closer where we have these real life people and we can track the history and, and kind of compare real life and, and the musical. But I was trying to figure out what that was. And, you know, I am not sure. And I don't know if we would have to have Lin-Manuel Miranda write it in order for it to become successful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not American, but I was like, you know, what about a musical on Edith Cavill? Is that too tragic? Um, that was the my first thought. And I, I was probably overthinking it. Like, how could you stage this? <laughs> so it's like, you're not going to have a musical on D-Day. You're not, uh, although you might be able to do a Saving Private Ryan the musical. I don't know. Um, I don't. As much of a World War II buff I am, I don't think I would probably um, enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the next? Like, what? where do we go from here? What area of history would you like to see explored in musical form? I think that, um, I mean, I think that these are a good choice, but we have hair and, and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I would start with the idea that you assume it's a bad thing bad idea. I mean, who would have thought, you know, Hamilton would be the big hip hop musical of the two thousands. And so when, and I, as a, someone that's an antebellum U S historian, you know, I was kind of thinking more along those lines. And so um, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think Henry Clay would be an interesting person uh, because he is, uh, I mean, maybe it's because he's so much like Hamilton. He's such a critical bystander. You know, he never mm-hmm. gets to be president, but he's hanging out and making big decisions for, you know, 30 years, 40 years. 
in shaping the country. And, uh, you know, I thought that. I think the election of 1840, William Henry Harrison, would be fun because it's such a crazy election. And it's one of the first to feature women, even though, you know, many years before they could vote. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where I would, would go on that. Um, you know, I'm kind of attracted to more of the snapshots of, of little bits of history, things like come away home. Is that what it's called? Come away home about um, the airport in Newfoundland that oh, took in yeah. flight at 11. Um, so I, I think maybe identifying these little pieces that don't revolve around um, you like know, a lifetime a vignette. And, and I, yeah, I think my, I, I think my thought process is clouded by Hamilton. Uh, Cause I'm trying to think of like, what about Francis Perkins, you know, <laughs> but that's like first one. Well, that's like such a, um, you know, such an inspiring, if you will, story. Um, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's a musical on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I would actually love to see that. I I'd get tickets, definitely. Well, we're we're starting to run out of time. And uh, one of the things that I did want to ask you, I've asked everyone I've interviewed so far, and I think you're maybe the 12th, 13th of the podcast, uh, is to kind of imagine their subject as um, in a more 21st century way. And so it's easy for you because we see Hamilton in a 21st century way. I'm not going to let you off the hook on this. And instead... I want you to imagine the person has a Instagram account in the the 1700s and what kind of hashtags would, for example, Hamilton use to describe himself? So um, this was challenging and a little bit fun. And I have to say, when I thought about this question, this is going to be a really weird kind of um, place that I go. So go with me on this. Um, what came to mind is a line out of Return of the Jedi, of all things, where Leia is telling Han to be careful. You know, there's more of them out there. And he turns around with a smile on his face and says, hey, it's me. And I kind of think, hey, it's me. It's Hamilton. Like that would be his on every tweet would be, hey, it's me. But he would have like hashtag ahead of my time or living my A plus life that kind of thing. But honestly, I see in a 21st century social media context, I see Hamilton more on the Reddit, am I the asshole page? Everything that he does going, would this make me the asshole if I did this? Or, (laughs) you know, I told this guy, I gave him a list of all of the things that he's ever done to bug me. Am I the asshole on that? So I would say I would put Hamilton in the Reddit corner as opposed to a hashtag on Twitter or Instagram. If that I'm makes sense. I kind of like the idea of the uh, hashtag, am I the asshole? Yeah, I have that on, on my notes too. Um, so how about Burr? I think for this, we have to stop thinking of hero and villain and we have to think of protagonist and antagonist instead. And Burr is... I don't have anything for Burr. What would I do for Burr? Um, I think Burr would be hashtag misunderstood. Um, 
I don't I was know. Maybe I hashtag I did it for her. I did it for Theodosia. I mean, not the yeah. the duel per se, but you know everything going back to her. Uh, let's um, take it into um, other musicals and Chicago, and it could be hashtag He had it coming. Um, <laughs> I like so, that. Um, but he's he's such a reactive person where you kind of see Hamilton as more proactive. Um, you know, he was actually hashtag provoked could be, could be yeah. Burr. Um, so, so yeah. How about any of the, the women you pick one? What would their um, So Peggy of course would be, and Peggy, um, you know, you could always do hashtag work for Angelica. Mm-hmm. Um, she, Gosh, there's so many, and I'm trying to think of where I would put her. I don't know. I might have to have you let me off the hook on on Angelica. Well, we've got um, some good ones. Um, yeah. Well, we should probably bring this to a close. Um, but I, I do want to thank you. Um, he, I should thank Miranda as well. But you know, Hamilton is such a fascinating character, and I think almost as fascinating as he is the person. I find the musical fascinating and how it tells history. So it was really great to have a chance to talk to someone and uh, that knows so much about the show and has thought about it so much. And so I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.